Crossover Appeal is a show that will sometimes have spoilers, but the hosts promise not to be jerks about it. Also, from time to time, Walt and Annie may get small details about the things they discuss incorrect, and they would like you to know that every time it happens, it is done on purpose to spite you specifically. Enjoy the show! Everybody and welcome to Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Andy Carty. Hi, Annie. Hey, Walt. Annie, what do we do on Crossover Appeal? On Crossover Appeal, we take two uh, fictional universes. Mm-hmm. Um, we see where they cross over thematically. Yeah. We make a whole world for them oh, um, to kiss and fight and stuff in. Yeah. Um, we so, like yeah. make a little clay model of it here in studio for verisimilitude yeah but it takes years to make a claymation movie of the crossovers it's we true. have developed each episode that you hear a crossover <laughs> appeal represents years of labor on our part yeah greetings from the past well, no, see i'm thinking that we're still working on all of the on the front episode one yeah <laughs> we're gonna get that Battlestar galactica friday night lights one to you oh no it was or, um, um bsg go more girls that's right we're gonna get that to you too sweet yeah like in uh 2025 <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so get excited everybody yeah. we'll have a big premiere party and it's everything it's like um that episode of parks and rec where ben wyatt <laughs> <makes>. <laughs> the cones of dunshire no, oh, no his, the cla- the his claymation. claymation is like two seconds long that's true we've wasted our lives yeah <laughs> well any what are we wasting our lives preparing a claymation structure movie <laughs> about tonight um so tonight we are crossing over tv series pitch and graphic novel series saga Ooh, mixed media crossover yeah it's like a sample real, platter. real persons and anim- and illustrated persons. Yeah, paper persons we call yes. them. Yes, <laughs> the old paper <laughs> persons. Oh, you're talking about them paper persons, huh? <laughs> I go into my local comic shop and ask him for all the paper persons. <laughs> where, where, are the, where? Are, give me your finest paper persons, please. I wish to converse with them. <laughs> and they're like, "Is that is that a title?" And you're, we're like, "No." It might be I, a title. Paper persons would be a good comic title. Yeah, that's true. I'd read it. I mean, there's paper girls. Yeah, I think that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. And they are paper persons. Yeah. So what? I mean, uh, paper girls so, are obviously people. <laughs> I, I have always said that. <laughs> I'm definitely a real human female. <laughs> They're certainly on the Venn diagram somewhere in there. <laughs> Normal human females. <laughs> Annie is very good at telling what people are and what people aren't. Yep. <laughs> Well, Annie, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about Pitch, which I assume is populated by people? It's It has more than one person, Ooh. at least one of whom is a female human. Nice. Excellent. Um, so Pitch is a drama television series about the first female baseball player in the major leagues. Um, it originally air- aired on Fox, and because it's Fox, it was unjustly canceled after one season. Consistency. And literally 10 episodes. Yeah. It it's got gross. like none of the do. Um, so, but despite that, the show got great reviews from critics who called the show a home run. Oh, I get it. And from fans like me who are still outraged that we didn't get six seasons in a movie of baseball powerhouse Ginny Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story follows Genevieve Ginny Baker, who is the first woman to get called up from the minor leagues to pitch with the San Diego Padres. And she's a closer, right? Or she's a relief pitcher. She's a pitcher. She's a pitcher. She's, she's a pitcher. pitching. Yeah. I I can't remember. She throws the ball. She does throw the ball mm-hmm. very well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I'm sure they say what what she is. I think I remember that she's a closer, but I could be yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, 
Throughout the show, so we see Ginny struggle with the immense amount of fame that she suddenly received and the intense pressure she's under to not only perform well as a major league pitcher, but also as the first and only woman to have gotten this chance. And not even through like a rookie of the, the year style. No, like, it was just like she worked her way up. Yeah. And and she's a great pitcher and got called up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I would say something good about rookie of the year, but apparently that guy's like a but, douche canoe. Yeah, that's true. There's not a whole lot to, well, funky butt lover. No, That's, no, not even that. No, not even Funky Butt Lover. No, has run not, the test of time. No, I'm not going to give him that. Wow, he was the guy who like tried to make a YA novel. A oh thing. yeah, no, he's in yeah. this. Anthony Edwards was in it though, Which right? One Wasn't is he? it? Wasn't he the the guy who gets assigned as an assistant? I don't even remember. Yeah, I or, don't know who that is. Oh well. Anyway, we can we can consign Rookie of the Year to the dustbin <laughs> of history now. Yeah. Because pitch is way better. Yes, pitch is wonderful. <laughs> um. So uh, Ginny also has to deal with tension and misogyny on her own team and in uh, Major League Baseball in general, as a lot of dudes don't know what to do now that a woman is throwing a ball at them. Everything's gone topsy-turvy. It's crazy. Ladies are throwing balls. I don't know what to do. Um, we also see flashbacks to Ginny's childhood and days as a high school, college, and minor league picture, pitcher um, and how her family life, including a father who died and a brother who wants to capitalize on Ginny's new fame and fortune, um, kind of affected her then and now. The story also follows Mike Lawson, who is the catcher for the Padres and a guy toward the end of his career. Um, He's real suspicious of Ginny to start out, but they end up developing a bond throughout the show. um, And it's suggested that romance may be blossoming, but the show never gets a chance to go there. Boo. (sighs) Before it's time. Exactly. Fox. Um, Mike almost gets traded to the Cubs, which causes some tension among the team when they find out he was kind of like up for the trade. Um. Ginny also finds support and drama with her agent, Amelia Slater, who's uh, like a real Slytherin and go-getter. Amelia also ends up hooking up with Mike, which makes for some weirdness with Ginny. Uh, So Mike's getting a lot of action. Really? Mike is like the the nexus of a lot of the romantic energy in this show. I know, right? I mean, he's... uh, Zach Morris. Zach Morris. So so there you go. Yeah, obviously. Uh, The show deals with the ins and outs of professional baseball, including athletic endorsements, potential trades, angry fans, sports news... And the knowledge that there are always more up-and-coming players who are ready to take your spot. Yeah, I mean, I think I remember from, like, watching this on the couch with you, like, a lot of... As opposed to where, where we watch other things. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always on the couch. On the roof with you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> While driving. Yeah. Um, no, that, like, it... It spends a lot of time on like the business end of baseball yeah. in a really fun way. Um, yeah, exactly. And and that's one thing I'll talk about in terms oh, cool. of things we'll like. Um, but yeah, it, it deals with a lot of like real life stuff that I, I assume baseball players have to deal with. Yeah, whether they're male or female. Exactly. Um, so characters, we have Ginny Baker, first ever lady pitcher in the major, in Major League Baseball. Mike Lawson, Padres uh, catcher and dude who needs to figure out what life outside of baseball is going to mean. Um, Amelia Slater, Ginny's agent and total shark. Nom, nom, nom. Nom, nom. Um, Oscar Ar- Aguila, um, the Padres general manager who's trying to like manage the attention on the Padres behind the scenes and also bring in new players. Al Luongo, um, the Padres manager, which is, I guess, different from the general manager. Yeah, the general manager is the guy working at the head office who's yeah, making all the trades. Yeah. And the manager is the one like on the field making the, the game decisions. Versus coaches? Um, the coaches are I know, specialized positions. Oh. So like, you have your hitting coach and your catching coach. The manager is the guy who's He's like the, the team boss. Okay. Um, so he would be, the, in football, he would be the coach. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah. Huh. 
Huh, Akita, well, you learn something new every day. <laughs> Especially about baseball. So, like, in a league of their own, Tom Hanks is the manager, the manager. not the coach. Right. Weird. Yeah. Okie dokie. Because <laughs> he's not, like, necessarily coaching them on how to be better. But he was supposed he's to. managing them. But with, like... As a team. Like, he's giving the, them he's the supportive master, moving feedback. Moving the pieces about the board. He's like, here's your performance review. Yeah. I rate yeah, you on a that. scale of one to five. I mean, it's probably here's a little your... more nuanced than that. I mean... <laughs> Dad's ten looks three. Yeah, right. <laughs> Good reference. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, he's um, Al's an old dude who's not exactly excited about having a girl on the team, but he eventually comes around to, Gen- to Jenny. Good job, Al. Uh, there's Blip Sanders, a Padres outfielder and former minor league teammate of Jenny, um, and who's generally a good friend to her. Blip's wife, Evelyn, is also a good friend of Jenny's. All friends. Um, so, yeah, it's nice that she has like a little community yeah, a when she's starting of people out. Who know her personally. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's Jenny's family, including her father, Bill, who we see in flashbacks, and her brother, Will, who we see Jenny like having a tough time dealing with in the present um, as he kind of wants to use her fame for his own fortune. Um, there's Levon Duarte, a new catcher in um, from Cuba who's primed to take Mike's position. Mm. Um, so there's a fire under Mike. Yeah. Um, Rachel Patrick, a sports newscaster and Mike's ex-wife. Man, Mike. He gets around. Seriously. Um, and then other players and coaches and baseball-y type people. Um, a lot of like other, like there's the team owner, which is different from the GM. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. so yeah, there's, I was like, <laughs> wait, what? There's. Yeah. Uh, wheels within wheels yeah in oh exactly i was looking at all of these because it's again like i i watched the show when it was on um but yeah it was like and then there's a president of operations which is also different mm-hmm. um and, and then was, if you ask me like what's the difference between like pairs skating and ice dancing i'm like well obviously it's a world on. of it's difference very clear. And, <laughs> so. and the difference between the figure skaters owners versus the figure skaters <laughs> coaches is, yeah versus their managers <laughs> exactly. versus their general managers <laughs> yeah it's really i mean ice skating is probably the, the sport closest to horse racing <laughs> to horse racing and that they have owners I was um, extending the energy. Oh, joke. okay. I thought it was like, this is about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone way off track. Yeah, right. Um, and did Blip and Jenny used to date? Did I no, make that up? No, I don't think there's a, so. There's a character who she dated in the minor leagues, but then yeah. them both going pro, there was tension. I think he played for another team. You think he played for another team? Yeah. I can't remember which He ends which up not being particularly is. important. Yeah. I, I remember that for some reason. Yeah. Because I don't think that was blip. Someone can like correct me. Because yeah. it's been a little while since I've actually seen the show. Pitch um, Tumblr can come after us. Yeah. Oh, Pitch Tumblr. Sure out there. I love you. Absolutely. Come, come hang out with us, guys. Um. So themes of the show. Um. The pressures of fame is a real big one. Um. Ginny is dealing with moving from the minors to the majors, which is its own amount of professional pressure. Plus the pressure to basically be the one woman and a woman of color, no less, to have this shot. Like she knows thousands of little girls are looking up to her to succeed in addition to all her coaches and managers and agents and teammates and sponsors. Yeah, she so. really has to be a symbol yeah. instead of just being a person. Yeah, and it's very isolating. Like she literally like you know, gets changed and stuff in her own locker room. Like mm-hmm. Oh yeah, she can't even like have the camaraderie of the yeah. teammates. Um and dealing with the misogyny of other teammates. Like she's very like publicly isolated. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, there's a lot of pressure both for her just as a general player who's 
has this new opportunity to play in the majors um, and as this first woman in yeah, baseball. Like bearing this mantle of responsibility. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know what? Teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, I'd be disappointed if this team didn't show up. Exactly. Frankly. Because the Padres do best when they are working to support each other, like Ginny and Mike as pitcher and catcher. Um, they, again, develop this You're kind of bond and... Um, they're they can support each other when you know like game time is on and they understand each other in terms of all the weird pressures that you experience as a professional sports person yeah and that you know the idea that mike is like towards the end of his career so yeah. he gets to have that mentorship and yeah so there's a lot of trust between pitchers and catchers yeah exactly um so yeah it's nice to see that kind of bond and you know we have blip um who obviously is a friend of Ginny throughout. It's um, the personal background. Yeah. Um, so it's it shows how like teams really do need to function kind of as a unit. Um, mm-hmm. So teamwork makes the dream work. Yay. Uh, things I like and think other people will like. Um, it feels like a sports show that will appeal to both baseball fans and non-baseball people. Like, obviously, I'm like... The most how, baseball person oh, yes. in the room. <laughs> I sure do love the throwing of the balls and then hitting... Yeah. Them into that's the it. field. That's the whole thing. That's it. And then you run after the bases. <laughs> you got to catch them. <laughs> got to catch them all <laughs> before they evolve. Oh, man. Second base is a fire type this game. <laughs> I already have one of those. Um, Home bases my, or no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's evolving. Oh, um. Yeah, there we go. It's about to... all the baseball Pokemon jokes I that's, think I've yeah, got. Yeah, I know. I'm like, well, that's all I know about sports yeah. and Pokemon. <laughs> um, so Pitch deals with all kinds of administrative and professional drama between the coaches and the managers and the owners and the players um, and, and, and everything else that you yeah. have to deal with. But it, and it's done in a way that's understandable to people like me who don't follow baseball. Like mm-hmm. when I was watching it, I was like, oh, okay. Like there's, again, like an owner – and a general manager, and they all have different things. And I didn't understand exactly what they're... Right, but it was clear that they were operating well, different levels of status. Yeah, and like all kind of working with, but also against each other in different mm-hmm. ways, um, which was really interesting to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like it's like Friday Night Lights in that way, where yeah. it's so much about the mechanics of it, right. but it also keeps it about dynamics between characters. Definitely. Um, and I think whereas Friday Night Lights is about small town community like obviously this is about like real big professional money Mm -hmm. um and on the the administrative side so much of it is like making sure that your your team is gonna get attention and that people are getting paid and people are in the seats and they're gonna win games yeah um you gotta produce yeah exactly um versus just like oh we all love baseball and isn't it great to go play a game sometimes look at what how how much it's teaching us about ourselves yeah in our in our in our lives Mm Um, and you know, another thing I love is that the cast is just great. Um, like Kylie Bunbury as Ginny is such a solid performance. And for someone who I think was a real kind of up and comer, like yeah. I didn't know about her before the show. No, but she really is like instantly compelling. Yeah. And she has such a nice presence because she's very believable as someone who would be a professional athlete. She yeah. seems really grounded and kind of stoic in many ways. Um, but she balances that with. Ginny dealing with all this inner turmoil um, about, you know, the pressure she's dealing with and kind of the the excitement of this new role, but the, the pressures of having to perform and being a role model and how, again, like how great that is that 
little girls are looking up to her, but how that means that she cannot fail. Yeah, like she gets to be so vulnerable, but you also never doubt for a second that she's earned her way there. Yeah. there. Yeah, which is great. Um, And like Mark Paul Gossler is perfect as Mike Lawson. Yeah, I didn't recognize him in the first couple episodes. Yeah. I had no idea that it was him. Yeah. Um, And, you know, as someone who grew up with Say by the Bell, I think I've seen him in like random shows throughout his career. Yeah, there was the Bash Brothers one. Oh, he's like a lawyer. Oh, yeah. I think he's been in a few kind of lawyery shows. Franklin and Bash. That's the one. There we go. Oof. <laughs> it was a thing. Sure was. Um, but yeah, I think this was such a great opportunity to see him as a, an actor, mm-hmm. like outside of the, oh, you were that guy from Say by the Bell. Like, yeah, he's very believable as a guy who's a career catcher. And I feel like he has a little bit of the same energy of like Mark Hamill in The Last Jedi, where he gets to ride that wave of like playing a character who was somebody. Yeah. And and is now faded a little bit or or more complicated. And I mean, like that carries into the character as well. Right? Yeah. It's a character who was at a peak and is now sort yeah. of on the decline. And, and so it's instead of trying to push against that. Yeah. And it's something that I'm sure all athletes know is coming. Yeah. But also never want to be coming. Um, and baseball is so weird in that as a sport, it's very possible to tail off so gradually. Yeah. You're like, not, it's not like football where you're just getting pounded week after week and your mm-hmm. body physically cannot take it for very long. Yeah. And if you have, especially if you're a catcher, like if your knees are basically okay, but you have the smarts for it, you yeah. can become this kind of mentor figure. And then even in things like uh, Bull Durham or something, you get sent down to the minors yeah. to mentor. And so you can have a very long half-life to your career Yeah, without ever having to but really like, admit that it's over. But even then, like you get sent down to the minors to mentor. That's real different. Oh, yeah. Than... And you're not getting paid barely anything. Yeah. And yeah, um, you're you're so aware that you're past your prime. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's it seems to me to be the most like professional musicians. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. you're on the road constantly. If you have real big success, like you're selling out stadiums. But then 10 years later, you're selling out local arenas, which is yeah. which is way better than lots of other people get. But you know there's a difference. Right. And you're not doing things to the level that you were. Yeah. And people just want to hear your old songs. They're not interested in the new stuff you're putting out. That's a little less like baseball players. No, but just like they're they're not the new shiny thing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, like, it's not like somebody's like, do the old catch. Yeah, catch, <laughs> catch them like you used to. Stop doing those fancy catches <laughs> those out there. Behind the back catches. I want to see the good old fundamentals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like you're, you know, you can be great, yeah. but you're not the cool new kid who's getting this, the athletics endorsements. Right. You're seen as like the heart of a team. Yeah. But the heart of the team is not necessarily the although, guy who's out there being the showboat. Um, Although Big Poppy. He was always the star in my heart, (laughs) no matter what. And Andrew McCutcheon will always be cool. Always. Is he he still? He's still playing. He's not on the Pirates anymore. Oh, yeah. That's what I thought. No, he left us, sadly. Oh, the Pirates were terrible again. We didn't even get a chance to win the World Series yet. Much like um, Pitch did not get a chance to have more than one season. Oof. Um, but it, the last thing I really like is that it's a show with a lot of heart. Like it balances well between the sports drama and the character drama. So of course Fox would decide. It yeah. Oh, exactly. Die. They're like, no, people have too many feelings about this. <laughs> this can't be done. Um. So so yeah, Fox is terrible oh. in many ways, and um, I still have many feelings about Pitch. Yeah. Well, hey, why don't we mitigate some of those a little bit by talking about something awesome that is still ongoing? Yeah. There we go. 
Um, so let's talk about Saga. Um, Saga is an epic space opera slash fantasy comic book um, written by Brian K. Vaughn with art by Fiona Staples, um, which the two of them have been working on since 2012. Um, it's won just a whole heaping pile of awards since its release, basically every major comics award available and some non-comics awards um, it has raked in, and very deservedly so. Um, and given that it has one of the more weird, random, and fun aesthetics, of any mainstream comic out there as well as a real massive amount of heart um, that's really worth celebrating. It is one of the most unique and individual comics I think you will ever read, uh, especially in the quote-unquote mainstream of like Image, Marvel, and DC. Um, the setting of the series is a fantasy space galaxy, so sort of the requisite far, far away, and uh, centered on the conflict between two worlds, the planet of Landfall and its moon, Reef. Um, Landfall is a massive, technologically advanced planet. All of its inhabitants have wings, um, and its moon, Reef, is home to a race of people who can wield magic um, and typically have ram horns or antlers or some kind of head adornment. Um, so it's sort of like cyber savvy culture versus kind of druidic magic using culture. Um, and I say versus because Wreath and Landfall have been locked in a war for centuries, but if one planet were to be destroyed, the other one would be spent spinning out of its own orbit, so they know that they can't actually fight as planets. So instead, they have essentially outsourced their war across the rest of the galaxy and created this situation where the two home planets are more or less at peace while every other known world around has been forced to choose a side and is embroiled in constant war. I mean, why couldn't they... Um fight with like germ warfare and you would just kill everyone but you wouldn't like blow up the planet i think they explained it a little bit more but i think it's more that like they they're they're more or less at a stalemate in that okay. way i think like their mass destruction yeah would have to be like mass destruction yeah. in order to really have an effect yeah. and it's also i think become a very beneficial kind of colonial situation yeah where they can still profit off of the war mm. on both sides and they can still use it to okay. fire up their people but they don't have to suffer any of the actual consequences yeah. of it it's a very post 9-11 kind of like post-colonial look at colonial powers waging war in mm. distant places um, gotcha so yeah they definitely are the ruling powers of the galaxy and are using that to export all of their violence um so the story centers around Alana, who is a Landfallian soldier, and Marco, who is a wreath citizen who is a prisoner of war when they first meet. Um, the two of them fall in love, Space Romeo and Space Juliet style, um, largely inspired by a trashy romance novel that Alana and Marco have both been reading. Um, not only do they decide to run away together, but they actually conceive a baby, which, because it would be a hybrid, is a really big no-no in the eyes of both wreath and Landfall, largely for the PR implications of it. They don't want to see this potential of a unification of their species. Mm. Um, so both worlds put a bounty out on the family and want both the baby and Marco and Alana killed. Boo. Boo. Let that baby live. Yeah. Um, so the story itself actually starts right when Alana is giving birth to their daughter, Hazel, as they are fleeing from the planet that they have been on. Um, and it continues from there over a series of years as they try to stay ahead of their various pursuers and find some kind of peace as a family. Um, the story is partly narrated by a grown-up Hazel looking back, so the implication is that 
it ends in some kind of positive note, um, but we don't know. And it's mm-hmm. not. And Marco and, and Alana aren't narrating either, so there's mm-hmm. really no telling what's going to happen in the middle. Um, it's overall a pretty simple setup, but along the way we get introduced to all sorts of just crazy, wild, massively imaginative worlds. Um, really wacky and compelling characters and massive galactic concepts. Um, this is one of the most consistently surprising and bold and really just straight up weird comic series you may ever read, like I was saying, and it almost never settles into a form of status quo for more than a few issues. Um, the way they actually have been doing the run is it's released in volumes, and each volume is maybe six to seven issues. Oh, and okay. they're, I think, at volume six now. I feel like that as a oh, as a comics reader, I have a very hard time with this the short in, um, installments. Yeah, because then, like, I'm so used to reading books. It's like, well, I'm done with this one, and I put it aside and forget right. about it. And it's had most of its business in the trade paperbacks, which is like each yeah. volume gets put out. And it's because it's more or less they they treat it sort of like the a season of a TV show where it'll cover a finite story and then there will be a big cliffhanger or a big event. And then the next, they'll take some time off because they both have a lot of other projects that they do. And then the next volume will usually involve a time jump of some kind or like another big story will get set in motion. So they have a lot of fun with the structure of it and it makes it so that it can stay very active Mm -hmm. and very kinetic. Um, At the same time, it's incredibly fair-minded and thoughtful about all of its characters and it prizes really small moments of pain and connection and meaning just as much as these massive galaxy-shaking events that it's uh, talking about. It's very concerned with the sort of ground-level individual eye view of this massive interstellar war, um, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, But the real heart and soul of it is the characters, um, which we'll talk about now because there's a whole bunch of them. But more or less looking at the first volume, Uh, There's Marco. He is an idealistic former fighter for Wreath. At the start of the series, he has decided to be a pacifist. Um, He's a conscientious objector and has actually surrendered himself to the Landfallian troops, which is how he gets captured. Um, And once he begins his relationship with Alana and they have Hazel, he vows to never use his magic or his sword to ever hurt anyone ever again, which is a tough thing to do in the world that they are living in. Um, There's Alana, who she is much more practically minded and and way more willing to fight than Marco, um, which is a good thing because they have to fight a fair amount. So she has to use her gun pretty frequently. Um, But she's also very susceptible to impulsive and reckless decisions. Um, She is fiercely protective of the central family, though, and willing to do anything or sacrifice anything for them. So she's really a large driving force in just trying to keep them alive. Um, there is Hazel. She's the baby. She spends the series baby growing Baby reaction up. shot. She's baby reaction shot, but they're all so good. Um, she spends the series growing up. Uh, so far, I think in about volume six or seven, she's like four to six years old. Mm-hmm. So it takes its time, but um, she is now a active participant in what's going on around her. Um, she's inquisitive, sweet, and very, very convincingly childlike. Um, Brian K. Vaughn started conceiving of the series when he and his wife had, I believe, their first child. So there's a lot of like very true-to-life feeling parent-child stuff going on. And 
new parents trying to figure out how to take care of a baby, even while they're also fleeing intergalactic forces. Um, there is Prince Robot the Fourth. He is a robotic noble with a television for a head who is dispatched by landfall to find and destroy Alana, Marco, and Hazel. Um, Prince Robot is incredibly haughty, very sort of imperious and egotistical, but he starts the series having just coming back from a war zone, and he's a little bit traumatized by that. Um, and he gets more and more conflicted as the series goes on. He gets used a little bit as a punching bag from time to time, mm -hmm. but he has a rough go of it, and he becomes a really fascinating character because of it. Um, his sort of bounty hunting counterpart and sometimes nemesis is The Will. Um, he is a professional bounty hunter hired by Wreath to kill the family. Um, one of the things that, at least to my knowledge, is never explained in the series, but that I like a lot, is all of the bounty hunters are named The and then something. So there's The Will, there's The Stock, there's uh, a few others that I'm blanking on right now. So, but Prince Robot is not a, a bounty hunter. No. Even he though is, he is... He's, he's part of a nobility and like his mission is given... He's basically part of an army uh -huh. and sent as a soldier to go okay. find them. Whereas but Reith he has the same a, kind of mission. Yeah. Okay. And, and Reith hires a bounty hunter to do their work for them. Um, so yeah, the Re the will is very kind of straightforward businessman. He's kind of Han Solo-y. Um, he's very good at his job um, and kind of morally flexible. Um, but he gets compromised by a few different situations, uh, including he has a relationship with one of the other bounty hunters who gets wrapped into things. And he also sort of takes on an inadvertent mentorship of a young girl that he rescues from slavery on the hedonistic pleasure planet Sextillion. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, she is a character is wonderful. Her, her, I'll talk about her. She's Sophie, um, the girl who the will rescues. She's a six year old when he saves her and she winds up sort of becoming his mentee. Um, and she gets, uh, her function in the story a lot is illustrating kind of the effect that growing up in these very violent struggles mm -hmm. would actually have on somebody. Like she hasn't had a very easy life and it very much leaves a mark on her yeah. and sort of shows this kid trying to be a kid, but also deal with the stuff happening around her. Um, and the will is not necessarily the best mentorship figure given that he's a violent bounty hunter dude. Um, there is Isabel. She is Hazel's babysitter who escapes from the planet Cleave with Alana and Marco on an organic spaceship that they grow out of a tree. Um, Isabel is kooky and snarky and very, very teenagery. She is also a ghost because before the series started, she got blown up by a landmine. Um, but having no spectral legs or corporal reality doesn't keep her down because she's going to be a good babysitter no matter what. Um, there's Clara, who's Marco's mother, who winds up getting ensnared in all of the drama and becoming sort of an, uh, a very unwilling grandmother figure to Hazel. Um, she's sort of like if Lucille Ball, uh, Lucille Bluth rather, and Xena merged into a single person. I would love that. Yeah, she's very dry. That's, that's a crossover and, I would want. Yeah, she's very dry and very angry to be there, but very badass as well. Um, there's Gwendolyn, Marco's ex-fiance, who winds up partnering with the Will and wanting to track the couple down for less than official reasons. And then um, there's a few other characters like Lion Cat, who is the Will's sidekick. Um, Lion Cat is a big blue-green tiger, and she can tell when people are lying. And when people are lying, she says, lying. And that's all that she says. Um, that was the one thing I knew from the internet she's before a, we started this. She's a fan favorite, uh, Lion Cat. She pops up a lot, and she's delightful. And every now and then they'll put her in peril, and it's always the most heartbreaking part oh, of the no. whole stories. Um, and then there's Gus who's a little anthropomorphic Harper seal man wearing wellings or wellies, who's just the gosh darn cutest and 
carries a big axe and is delightful. I like Gus a lot. Yeah. I, I Walt showed me a picture of Gus before we started and I was like, this is my favorite. Yeah, he's the one. He is the one. Um, themes and fun stuff, just massive, massive imagination. Um, this universe is actually one that Brian K. Vaughn has said he has been thinking about since he was like five. It was sort of how he would kill time in math class, just imagining this space galaxy world. And whenever he was, you know, trying to waste time or daydreaming, this is the setting that he would do it in. And then he got the opportunity to create a totally original comics property. And he'd already done a few really good ones and just decided why not set a, set something in this universe. And because he and his wife were going to have a baby that sort of formed the protagonists for him. Uh, and because of that, it has that feeling of sort of childlike ability to just think anything up, but also it's grounded in a lot of reality um, that becomes really surprising and really cool and keeps you on your toes. Um, it's also massively reinforced by Fiona Staples' art. Um, she's really put front and center um, by Vaughn as a co-collaborator. Um, he gives her full responsibility for things like character and other designs. Um, and as a team, they're just this bottomless well of creativity and ideas, and they manage to make alien worlds and people feel actually alien while still being relatable in some way or another. So it never goes fully detached from the world that we live in but it's always just crazy town and it's great um because as far as i can tell from your description like humans are not a thing no no there's no earth yeah um i mean most of the characters are humanoid in some way or another and so that's i think where it it branches over a little bit into like fantasy or star mm -hmm. wars yeah like, yeah um, but like but there's no the, in star wars there are humans yeah but like, there's not like a neutral race in yeah. Like that in Saga. It's everybody is something. And if they're a person, they're a person with like horns or wings. Right. Or yeah. Like it's that. They're not straight up human. Yeah. And the series is very willing to have characters who are just like totally wackadoodle different than what we would imagine a, a creature would be. Uh, and it's great. Um, casual representation, inclusivity, and sexuality. Um, this is a galaxy where sexuality is just kind of what it is, and various characters are gay, bi, trans, and pansexual without it ever really being a big deal for anybody. Um, so there's a lot of just like loving couples of all kinds and characters of any gender that you can imagine, and nobody makes Nobody comments on it because it's, it's space. Yeah, right. It's like if you're going to imagine a whole universe of people and um, races and species and whatever, like, why would things be on a binary? Exactly. Why would you enforce any sort of a binary? Yeah. Um, it is also a comic that's very frank and honest about like bodies in general. So there's actually a good amount of nudity and sex in the series, but it's always presented very matter of factly and not like clinically, but just like like bodies normally. are bodies. Yeah, it's standard. Like there's breastfeeding and there's sex in the background of things or you know stuff like that and it's not erotically charged at all. Um, it's just kind of what it is. And it's actually resulted, I think the breastfeed, there was a cover of Alana breastfeeding Hazel that almost got the comic censored. Oh my God. Uh, because people freak out. Because other comics have like almost naked ladies yeah. in like almost naked armor. But that's cool because but we're supposed to think they're sexy. Yeah, right? Because yeah. ladies are supposed to be for sexies and exactly. not for feeding babies. Yeah. And in the moments where the comic does have like quote-unquote erotically charged moments it's it's because there's an emotional resonance at play in some way so it will go into romance mode yeah. occasionally but it's like oh these are characters who are romantically charged and love each other um 
And the big part is, that I love about Saga and why I think it's made such an impact, um, it's one of the best-selling comics being published right now, especially on the outside of the Marvel DC sphere, is it really underlines the power of comics as a storytelling and narrative form. Um, it's probably completely unadaptable to any other medium. Um, it has a scope and a style and a visual flair that really couldn't be captured anywhere else. And that's kind of refreshing because it is a great reminder of just how much freedom you have when you're creating a comic to inform both the visual and the narrative world that you're working in. And it's just a really fun exploration of, uh, of visual storytelling. And it's great. And everybody should go see it because you should go read it right now. But first, yeah. before you do, let's talk about how we're going to cross these things over. Um, yeah, so so themes are... I think teamwork makes the dream work. Could function for Saga. Oh, because yeah, I they're mean, definitely a family team. Yeah, um, and dealing with um, immense pressure in yeah. different ways. The weight of identity. Yeah. Of being the only one right. of your kind. Oh, totally. Hazel and uh, Jenny feel that one. Yeah. Um, striking a blow to in established systems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Screw that. Yeah. We're going to break up this system of oppression. Yeah. From from inside the baseballs or, or inside the intergalactic war. Yeah. We're going to bring a progressive hope to things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Cool people. Being cool. Being cool, doing things. I mean, everybody in Saga is pretty athletic, I guess. Yeah. So. Strength. Yeah. What, is, what are the strengths? What is true strength? What is, yeah, it was inside you the whole time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Why did you have that baseball inside oh, you? Oh, my God. <laughs> has that been there the whole time? It's the weirdest tumor. <laughs> Were you born with that? Yeah, really. It was destiny all along. Maybe that's like she wins the final game by... Using the baseball well, that was pulling, in her all pulling along. out a baseball from inside of her. Yeah, I, that she had an extra one. Yeah, nobody because, nobody would want to hit it because it's way gross. Yeah, that'd be terrifying. Mm-hmm. There's no rule that says you can't pull a baseball out from inside of you <laughs> and use it in a game. Oh no! But then the dog on the other team just <laughs> ran up and caught oh, it. Oh no! <laughs> oh, the humanity. Um, yeah, I think that about covers sure. the dramatic crossovers. Um, so how about the the act of it? So. Um, I mean, there are no real humans in yeah. Saga, but it seems like there would be some kind of sportsing somewhere. Yeah. So my thought, my when I was thinking about this, was so Wreath and Landfall as planets yep. have managed to strike this sort of peaceful coexistence. Strike. Oh, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, there's still a lot of obvious animosity and competition mm-hmm. between the two of them. So maybe they have a sportsing league that is only played between Wreath and Landfall, and they've decided that like they're going to get out a lot of their their animosity through a, an intergalactic sports ball game. Yep. Um, and so they... they and then send... they can make money through that. Exactly. It's another way to fleece all of their people. Yeah. And, you know, it also, like, bread and circuses, it keeps the their populace distracted. Yeah. So, yeah, they're going to, like, make a grudge match sports ball game. Yeah. Space ball. We'll say baseballs. Good yeah. times. <laughs> it's oh yeah, it is a yeah, Brooks that movie, is, isn't it? That's already a thing. Nuts. Well, galactic sports ball. Gal- Galactics ball. That doesn't doesn't inter, really flow. Intergala- inter. Saga ball. Yeah. Sock it to them. Anyway, they're going to play a game. (laughs) (laughs) 
And Dogs might be on the field. We'll it, see. Yeah, it's true. But they need to, you know, form the league. And maybe this has been something very ancestral and it's happened the same yeah. way. It's always been male players yeah. for a long time. That makes sense. You know. They send these these warriors into yeah. the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Ginny Baker is the first. Um, would she be Wreath or, or Landfall? I think she'd probably be Landfall. Yeah. Because like Landfall is... Yeah, and Landfallians can, like, hide their wings more. Mm -hmm. Like, some of them have full feather wings, but some of them have, like, smaller fairy wings. And so, like, there's... Usually when Marco and Alana get found out, it's because someone notices that Alana has wings. Um, So, like, yeah, I think it's it's easier... I think Ginny would be a Landfallian. Okay, cool. Um... But I think I could see uh, uh, Mark Paul Gosset or Mike being Wreath. Interesting. Sort so are they playing soul. on different teams? Yeah, I think maybe. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Or maybe she's the first Landfallian to play for Wreath. Oh, maybe. Maybe yeah. that's it. It's not all male. It's Yeah, it's just pure species yeah. separation. Yeah. How does that happen, though? Um, I'm going to say maybe I, that would be like a behind-the-scenes government... Oh, they need to like get a new machination. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, we need a good narrative. So, yeah, like... Um, uh, what's their names? Um, Oscar, who's the the general manager, mm-hmm. and like he he has this idea. To, maybe he actually is related to um, like Marco and oh. uh, and so he's like he's trying to find a way to subtly bring to smooth this, this out. A yeah, bit. to bring these like cultures together. Yeah, and he's proposing this with the idea that it's like, oh, this is gonna bring in viewers. We're gonna make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to, you know, people are going to go crazy. They're going to be so upset. But then he's thinking, this, this is could... going to help my little niece Hazel out there yeah. and bring them home. Oh, yeah. I like that. So, yeah, yeah he's like really trying to play this very subtly. Yeah. Like... And I feel like like I, I like Oscar as a character. Um, mm-hmm. Like he seems really smart and competent and like trying to like do the right thing yeah. in general. So I can see him like playing this angle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like. There's even, uh, so there's a plot line in Saga where um, Alana gets a job working on what's called the open circuit, which is like sort of public access cable, but it's uh, this pirate TV station sort of soap opera telenovela mm-hmm. where everybody performs in masks. Mm-hmm. And so they need money. So she's performing, she's a performer in the open circuit. Mm-hmm. And so like she's in the entertainment industry. Like I think, do they maybe get word of this? Oh yeah, um, I think yeah. so. It's like, and it's sort of working in partnership with Oscar. Yeah. A little bit. So they're, they're starting to pull some things in too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but still being on the run. Mm-hmm. Um, because you got to keep yeah. it secret because you're going to get killed exactly. otherwise. Um, so I'll just put it out there. Prince Robot the Fourth can turn his arm into a cannon. Oh. So he seems like a pretty good pitcher. Yeah, he'd be a real intense pitcher. Maybe he is Ginny's biggest competition. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, on either on a different team or on the same team. Um, Let's say different team. Yeah. Grudging respect across teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think Ginny is playing for the Wreath team, oh, the okay. Wreathian team. Yeah. Um. So that would mean Oscar's related to Marco. Um, yep, which makes sense. Yeah. So Prince Robot's on the Landfall team. Okay. That all checks out. Yep. Um. Yeah. And then um. Yeah, and Mike Lawson is is on the Wreath team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. He's a Wreathian. He's a Wreathian. Um. I maybe Blip is actually he and Ginny get brought up together. Oh yeah, um, I like that because he 
Is maybe, he a Lanfalian or maybe because like you know they used to play together. Oh yeah. So maybe there's so. something where they if he's not a Lanfalian, maybe they know each other somehow. Yeah, maybe they because I previous, like that friendship. Yeah, they had previous interactions like on a battlefield or something. Yeah, maybe, like they and maybe the world doesn't know. Yeah, maybe they like they respect each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I don't know how saga goes, but um. But yeah, like finding those kind of common grounds when you are like when you're a soldier and you're stationed somewhere Mm -hmm. and it's not like you're, you know, interacting with your enemies in real close ways, but like you're dealing with these other cultures and trying to establish yourself as like people you can they can trust Mm -hmm. um so maybe Ginny and and blip met each other in those kind of situations oh yeah i could see that yeah Yeah, absolutely so they're carrying some baggage in yeah um but they but they they trust each other yeah um, because i like her being able to come in with that absolutely yeah she has a little bit of a grounding there yeah um yeah i mean i like that i think you know uh marco and alana like i think hazel gets super into this game like she's yeah. watching this game. She's oh, a big totally. Ginny fan. And like Marco and Alana are trying to stay away from it. But yeah. also like Oscar is trying to leverage them back as well. Yeah. So like they're trying to keep their their distance, but it keeps pulling them back. And I think the Will really likes watching the game too. Yeah. And so maybe he like sees them on the Jumbotron or something. Oh, maybe. And, yeah, you know, danger. Yeah, here's the um, risk. I also think that um, Clara, who's Marco's mother, mm-hmm. um, I feel like she and... Um, the the manager who's um al who's the old dude oh, yeah. on the team i feel like they might have a little winky wink oh hey winks yeah <laughs> yeah there's a past relationship there for sure um so yeah um you know that's so that's a kiss your faces yeah that's absolutely a kiss your faces yeah i think I we're, we're segueing into it a little yeah. bit i think um yeah i think uh Marco and Oscar definitely know each other. Yeah. And I, I, I want to say maybe they're brothers or something. Yeah. And I like that because Marco is a pacifist. Yeah. And so like this is an option. For yeah. Him. And I think maybe Oscar was like estranged from him. Yeah. But now has come around to see his Or side. maybe he like, he, he kind of has seen how awful this war can be because his brother has had to go on the run. Yeah. And, and, he, and, he, and like before he was like, of course, you know, wreath versus landfall, mm-hmm. screw them. But then like once his brother leaves, it's like, oh my God, this has real effects on me personally. Yeah. Like my we brother, need to like, stop took this. this principled stand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see that really inspiring him. Yeah. I uh, like that. Yeah. Um, let me see. Yeah, so I think they're definitely friends. Prince Robot and Ginny are Battle Dome. Yeah, total Battle Dome. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe degrudging respect, but yeah, I don't, we'll see how the season goes. Yeah, um, I can, well, like... I think the Will and Mike used to know each other. Yeah. Like, maybe the I Will wanted to go professional. I can see them as grudging respect. Yeah, maybe the Will wanted to go pro. But maybe he like, was for a little while. Oh, yeah. But then he fell into bounty hunting. Yeah. Maybe he, like, he, you know, pulled a baseball out of the wrong part of his body. Oh, no. And, and um, he didn't have it anymore. Nope. <laughs> um, maybe um, Isabel and um, Ginny used to know each other. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Because that, that's real cost. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, and Isabel is like still rooting for her so a lot. Were... Maybe she gets Hazel into it. Too. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's it. Like yeah. she's like, no, we have to watch this. That's my friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so yeah, those are best buddies. I like that. Um. Some kiss your faces. I like Clara and Oscar. Yeah. Not Oscar. Um, um, Al. 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 Yeah. And um, I want to hook um, 
Amelia, um, the Ginny's agent, up with somebody. Oh yeah, um, the Will. Yeah. Probably. Uh, He's kind of messed up, but I feel like she he would be her type. Yeah. Uh, he has sort of a Mark Paul Gossier yeah, Gossier kind of attitude that. about him. Or maybe like Prince Robot. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, I think she would want Prince Robot fancy. as a client. Oh, maybe. There yeah. you go. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Lion Cat is obviously the mascot. Yes. Oh, we're the, the wreath Lion Cats. <laughs> yes. I think, okay, I think the Will wanted to go pro at this game, but when he didn't make the team, he stole their mascot. Yes. And so, That's yeah, it. Now he's there. Um, oh, so what if, what if, um, Gus is the mascot for another team? I think he's the scorekeeper. Oh, okay. Because I'm That's just picturing right. him sitting now with a really big scorecard yeah. and a little pencil. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. Oh, Gus. Uh, and then maybe he rookie of the years it and comes on in at yeah, the end. Yeah, I love it. That's it. <laughs> Gus wins the day. Yay! We'll see you, man. <laughs> Yay! I feel like this is um, there's a an anime series called Samurai Champloo that is like two wandering samurai and they're and there's just an episode where they all play baseball, hmm. and there's also a Steven Universe where they all play baseball. Oh yeah! I feel like this is that. For yeah, these this two is one hundred percent. It's a least. total diversion episode, but yeah. like it's everybody's kind of favorite episode. Oh, totally! Oh my god, the Ruby! <laughs> oh, Steven, Steven Universe I love that baseball. episode. Seriously, um, uh, but yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, I would super watch this. I would watch I have this six seasons game. in a movie. Yay! Let's do it. Sports balls. Sports balls. Um, so yeah, well, if people want a little more of pitch, which they yeah. sadly cannot get I know, from Fox, right? Any, Boo. What can they do? Um, so Friday Night Lights. Which we've discussed before and recommended many, so times. many times because it's so good, it's so great. But it's actually a really great wreck here. Um, it's another show that perfectly balances the sports and the personal drama. Fortunately for Friday Night Lights, they had several seasons, so you can binge that one for and a while. A movie. But the movie wasn't. Yeah, the show. it was. It was a movie, and then yeah. six seasons. It still something. works. Yeah. Um, there, uh, there's a league of their own, uh, which is about the all women's professional baseball league during World War II, aka the best sports movie of all time. It's up there. It is the best sports movie <laughs> of all time. Um, there's Bandit Like Beckham, which we've also discussed before about a young Sikh woman who is secretly join or who secretly joins a local women's soccer team behind her conservative parents' back. Uh, there's The Rookie, which is about a high school baseball coach who tries out for the minor leagues, even though he's leagues older than all of the other players oh, starting out. Oh. And I think that one, like, I don't remember a ton about, like, the plot, but yeah. it it had a really good sense of, like, kind of the the slog of dealing with the minors and hoping that you're going to make it to the yeah, majors someday. The real work of it. Yeah. Like, it felt like, oh, there's not a lot glamorous about this. Is that Dennis Quaid? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but there you go. Um, if you like all the behind the scenes sports stuff, some people like Bull Durham. Bull Durham is great. I would, I would say, especially as a recommendation for this, because I mean, Mark Paul Gosselaar is basically playing Kevin Costner's character in Bull Durham. Yeah. Because it's the same idea of like, except there's no aging catcher mentor, um, magic sex girl. Yeah. That, that subplot has not aged well. No, it really hasn't. No. And Susan Sarandon's kind of. I love Susan Sarandon in yeah. that, but like she does, she does a, a job with it. Yeah, but it's a real not good character, and I don't like her as a person right now. That's fair. Yeah, um, I haven't seen Moneyball, but it sounds like it's very much in the same wheelhouse. Yeah, I think Moneyball would definitely, if you if you're into the behind the scenes, check it out. Yeah, or read the book. Yeah, that's true. That mm-hmm. you can do that too. Um, 
for some great uh, girl-powered sports books. Uh, there's the Dairy Queen series, which I've recommended before, um, <laughs> about the first female quarterback on her high school on um, a girls' high school football team. Um, the Distance to Home by Jen Bishop, which is a middle grade novel about a girl who has given up baseball after the death of her sister last summer. A lot of feels. Um, anyway, You Slice It by Christine Carlson Aslin, about a girl who secretly joins a local hockey team while her parents would rather fo- her focus on their family pizza restaurant. Um, and The Running Dream by Wendelin Van Dranen. I'm probably saying your name wrong. Um, about a competitive high school runner who loses a leg in a car accident. Oh, man. Um, and it's a great look at being like a newly disabled athlete um, and coming back to a sports you uh, to a sport you loved. It's a um, lot of like sports as way to recover from thing plot lines, which is good because yeah. sports are great for that. Yeah, or at least two two of them. Oh, I thought there were. I thought there was more than two. Um, oh no, I guess not. Yeah, never mind. Um, but yeah, and like I think um, the running dream in particular, it's like it's not very um like i mean it's dramatic but it's mm-hmm. it seems very realistic like she you know goes and gets yeah. fitted for a prosthetic leg and you know has to go through pt and it's like the practical like, experience yeah and like her teammates you know want to rally around her which makes her feel kind of weird but also appreciated but then she's like i'm still not kind of really part of the team yeah um so yeah like it sounds really cool it's very interesting um so yeah it's again that kind of like real look at what it means to be an athlete yeah um, so yeah, what about the Saga recommendations? Absolutely. Um, so Saga, there's a lot of crazy space stuff that's worth looking at. Um, Flash Gordon is a big influence on the books, um, both the original like really super cheesy black and white serials um, and also later adaptations of Flash Gordon. Um, Star Wars is massive. I think when the series first came out, it was billed as sort of Star Wars meets Game of Thrones because it's like space opera, but then with this big sprawling political side. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I think specifically for Star Wars, I would recommend Rogue One because I oh, think it's a really yeah. good, again, like on ground level look at the struggles that are going on. Um, also, uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th century dimension. Anyway, there's a Buck Rogers series and movie that is super wacky and and crazy from the 70s uh that is part of this aesthetic as is i would say comics by jack kirby um especially like the silver surfer and new gods and fantastic four comics from the 60s and 70s jack kirby was the level of visual um imagination and creativity that I think Fiona Stables really echoes a lot and tries to build off of. Um, And also those comics are just absolutely crazy bonkers cuckoo. Everybody was dropping acid and they're really fun to read. Um, From Brian K. Vaughn, um, he's just a really brilliant comics writer and he has a lot of landmark series. Um, Some of the major ones are Why the Last Man, which is a series about... uh, Uh, It's set in our current day where a sudden virus kills all men on Earth except for one guy named Yorick. Um, And it follows him, but it's uh, not as weird wish fulfillment-y as I think that premise could sound. Um, It's actually very, like, interesting philosophically, post-apocalyptically. And it's a really bracing series, Um, as is Ex Machina, which is one of my favorite series by Vaughn. Um, It is about, again, set in the quote-unquote real world, um, about a guy who gets superpowers. Um, You sort of gets famous because of it and parlays that fame into a role as the mayor of New York City. And the comics are essentially set starting with 
his administration's beginning after he's sort of done being a superhero and is now just trying to be the mayor. Um, and uh, the he, Brian K. Vaughn also has a newer series um, that's only been released online through a platform called the Panel Syndicate, um, but it's called The Private Eye, and it's set in a near-future world where at some point between now and then, um, basically something happens online where everyone's personal information everywhere online becomes public knowledge and open. And so it's a world that is sort of forged in response to that where everyone has a private identity now, like because you can find, because it's basically information about everybody is out there. So if anyone finds out who you are, they can trash you in some Mm. way. So everybody wears disguises all the time. It's like, it's really a, so an, uh, the main character is a paparazzo whose job it is to like figure out people's identities. Mm. Um, Yeah. I've only read a couple issues of it, but it's really cool. And I liked it a lot. Um, and then my other favorite, uh, recent comic book is the Hawkeye series, um, written by Matt Fraction. Um, it's just a super fun, I think I recommended it before. Um, sort of sardonic look at being a superhero on the ground level and it's super good um can i add one absolutely i mean i've only read i think was the first volume but um bitch planet oh yeah um, which is also about um like weird space yeah that's a futurism and um gender politics and violence yeah absolutely that is a very apt recommendation as well cool um but yeah comics are just great everybody go read comics please yeah. But in the meantime... Go, go ask for your paper people. <laughs> no, go ask for the paper people. Demand to see your paper people. <laughs> I will have all of your paper people. Thank you. Yes, please. Um, well, Annie, if people want some digital people to talk to and read yeah, about... Well, you know, there are lots of digital people you can talk to. Yeah. Where there can they find of, our digital people? Um, all of our digital people's content <laughs> are um, on crossoverappealpodcast.tumblr.com mm-hmm. and that's where you can find the show notes. Yeah. You can email us thoughts about comics that we should be reading or baseball teams that we should be following to crossoverappealpodcast at or gmail.com. why you support my theory that uh, League of Their Own is the best sports movie of all time. Well, I, was, I figured we'd save that for a Twitter poll. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So email us at crossoverappealpodcast at gmail.com. Um, Facebook, we're at Crossover Appeal Podcast. Um, you can rant against Fox and why they make bad bad decisions in mm-hmm. all of their programming. Facebook is a good platform for that. Yeah. Um, and you can look for our Twitter poll about the best sports movie and argue about whether it's a league of their own at Crossover Appeal. I'm, I'm going to make a poll that just is the best sports movie, one, a league of their own, Two, a league of their own. Three, a league of their own. Four, a league of their own. I mean, you can't argue with the methodology. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's on Twitter at Crossover Appeal. Um, and most importantly, you can subscribe on iTunes and also rate and review us because mm-hmm. that sure does make us happy. Absolutely. And it keeps Fox from canceling us. Yeah, right. They, it could happen at any point. They're just looking for an excuse. They're yeah. hungry for blood. After we did Brooklyn Nine-Nine and now oh, this, yeah. they're, they're out there. We're really flirting with disaster here. Yeah. Um, well, Annie, uh, if we can avoid the foxes for two more weeks, um, I think we'll be safe and then we'll be back with another, with another episode. Um, so yeah, uh, please come on back and join us in two weeks on Wednesday. And until then, this has been Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Annie Carty. And we are reminding you to, as always, please ship responsibly. 